Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. So Alex is going to read first, we'll take a short break, and then Andrew will read. What happens in a house when we cannot see inside of it? What groan do you make when you think you're alone? Or it's okay if your family hears? Where is the family besides in the furniture? When reading Alex's cuff, I wonder how a secret starts to rot and stink and then goes broadcast on the banner of a little plane meant to send messages to buy something like car insurance or a margarita. Are you relaxing on the beach? It's not an advertisement in the sky to fantasy or what to do with poetry, to feel uncomfortable, to feel discovered. The way white bread is dyed to be that way, and a sandwich in this poem called The Village is the suspect in the crime. There are so many ways to make a sandwich, and it can sound sadistic in Alex's poems. Sinister, the way culture comes out in the plastic packaging of pre-sliced deli meat. Does that fat taste smooth or chewy? What is the meaning of a sandwich? It could be lovers, boots, murders, yeast infections, curtains closed, crotch shaved, drapes flowing in an open window. We are looking out and up at the waterways through this window, the waterways with their cloudiness. The water is dirty or rather toxic with whatever, whatever list you want to make from the trash, even on this corner. The bin is a net, metal, green paint over the rust and gaping holes for the imitation water to spill out of. I saw blue neon water the other day, making a stream. Maybe it was left over from a hangover. Dump the cup full of liquid anyway. The garbage is prone to overflow, especially when the workers have the weekend off and there's a protest, which means more of us are throwing things out on the street. This is our body of water. So if you want to know what this place looks like in Alex Cuff's poems, the answer is you can't really see deep. You can answer with opaque darkness, then you pass through avoidance with its rituals and recipes. Of danger, Alex writes, I spend the next 10 years searching for that rocky cliff, but that searching is replaced with the realization I'm hanging off a dead man's leg. Lots to bury to catalog how to misunderstand a verb, how to put nouns back to back, this all matters. How to establish distance, how to swim in it, how to read the light backwards. It could be a nightmare, or it could be our grammar, what Alex is describing. Please help me in welcoming Alex Cup. told me, as if he hadn't told me, 
and I'm naturally mouthing words, naturally in costume, under a car, channeling. Let me be the first one to say it, I wasn't having fun. I'll get in any body of water in front of the whole world. The thing about envy is that there's nothing for you. I don't want to write about how lame they are. My therapist calls me a cheater. You're a cheater, huh? The hairdresser takes my hair in her hands like it's a limp dick, asks how long since I watched it. My body is changing color like the ponies of Oz, and the line on the ground is a laser, is a crack, a scratch, a charcoal mass, is a ginger root, a green dog, and nothing more. I'll get a coffee on a Friday morning. I'll drive to West Virginia with my mother. We'll listen to all 24 books of the Odyssey. In Pennsylvania, she'll tell me to do as Circe does to Odysseus, keep a man in a cave, use medicinals. Now, now. I have all these text messages from my father, phrases to him so funny because they are two nouns acting as adjective noun like store coffee. Store coffee is coffee that isn't brewed at home but at a store that you drink out of a cup with a lid and the milk and sugar provided by the store. Some people call this to-go coffee. He equates store coffee with loose coffee. I disagree and say that loose coffee is ground before it is brewed, not at all store coffee. Loose coffee is coffee made at home. It is home coffee. He says quick, quick, whatever. I say box tea, tea in a box of individually wrapped tea bags. I say I'm coming home to see you. He says what time is your return train? I search for the phrase nouns that act as adjectives on the internet and hope for a grammarian term, something proper. But the internet only says that sometimes we use a noun to describe another noun, in which case the first noun acts as an adjective like ticket office, racehorse, tennis ball. I don't always know what to make of noun on noun, and sometimes just want a descriptive word to accompany the noun, like the spotted egg of a hollow horse. Though I understand why some are wary of description, thinking that description is not knowing, not necessarily in any real sense of knowing, but behind the scenes knowledge anyway. And now and again, when someone says it is what it is, I lose faith that people will ever say what they mean. He says, I want to be a better father, but I have no money. He says, don't tell your mother about the DUI, you know, keep her nerves. He says, at least I never hit you. Sleep socks, boat shoes, chicken eggs. Grammarians might call this a compound noun. The internet warns that a car accident is not an accident of the car. He says, people will ask why Lauren didn't come to Uncle Ed's funeral. I say, tell him the truth, she's not doing well. I say, you two should finish the steps together. He says, we need to be on the same page, try this. She didn't come to the funeral because she is working, I say, but she doesn't have a job. He says, we have to return all our vehicles to the neutral zone by 5.30. He says, semper mi vigili, which I translate as, I am a species all to myself. But he says, no, semper mi vigili means hot sausages are always mine. I say, that's a strange thing to say to your daughter. He says, coffee snacks, dinner foil, water boots. Animal, animal, human, machine. I abandoned human, moved outside my body, brushed my eyelashes better to see you see me, and we got along fine. Both of us having that amnesia that lets us bring things into the body, take them out, and move them around the house. I watched movement, witnessed transaction. At 3.03, a shadow cut the building in half. At 310, the sun went in. The building stood whole again. Or so I thought, when I see a thing, I make it real. A woman naturally eclipsing a street lamp. A woman naturally smoking in the hallway. A woman naturally standing at a table counting money. A woman naturally wrestling bacteria with her own hands. A woman naturally in a room cutting all the stuffed animals. A woman naturally organizing bags of flour on a shelf. A woman naturally removing splinters from the side of the tweezer. A woman naturally tyrannizing a room of windows. A woman naturally at the bottom of the river. A woman naturally in a sunroom confessing to all the plants. A small white room on the ground floor, pillows stacked by cats, here and there color. A dog barking, the bed and a dust ruffle, the dresser and a vase, the clapboard dusty. The bed, a pair of wire-thin glasses, a dumb, light bed built for one, as if we're expected to die, in our sleep wearing shoes, in the bed masturbating. The room is a giant aperture, the mattress is very expensive. A large dog and small of my neck, a water-soluble paradox. The rooms are connected, the damage is muzzled. 
Dreams are not accidental. A pencil cactus slanting rectangular paper. They come built into the room. I walk across the room toward the door. I knock into a piece of furniture. I don't want to be sentimental, but I walk across the room and objects move out of my way. The dog had me by the neck. The man was shirtless. The kitchen floor was cracked. The man was blonde and bearded. The dog was cute. The door opened from the inside. Emotion is not a magician, but a man. Not A, disappearance, but B, invisibility. The writing on the wall was in Greek. The nails on the wall held nothing visible. A crash of motorcycles projected miniature. The kitchen floor was cracked. The man had me by the neck. The miniature was not so miniature up close. The magician was shirtless. The dog cracked. The crash opened from the inside. The motion was not a magician, but a floor. The writing on the wall was bearded. The Fates. There's someone at the door, an unknown or unspecified person of importance or authority, a small-time magician keen to be someone, a bat or a small child running behind a truck in a cloud of insecticide, the espionage novel, or as it's known in the trade, the thriller. She arrived in the elevator expressing movement. He arrived in the elevator lacking experience, a fact that became clear when he appeared in private for the last time in a text. A seasonal question for you. Hi, I just started shaving my armpits in order to stay clean. I don't live with my mom or any women. And what kind of product should you use? I really appreciate it. What about down there? How often should you shave your private parts? And what about private part hair? Can you tell me the name of any? How long does it take you to shave your armpits and your legs? I'm just wondering to see how often I should shave both my armpits and my legs and how long it should take. Thanks again for your kind, helpful answer. I really want to shave there, but I'm worried about little red bumps. I really want to shave there, but IDK has the legs up or down and it flaps. What if I cut myself? Please reply. I'm going to use the powder because my mom doesn't really buy me vaginal things. I haven't touched that area with a razor. I want to shave down there, but I'm scared of the little bumps and the itchiness afterwards. I would trim it down with scissors, but will the red bumps still appear? Should I or should I not do it? What is the current style as to hair down there? If I do, I'll start bleeding. My mom doesn't know that I have pubic hair. Should I try again? Can someone answer Pat's question? Totally bare, or landing strip, so to speak, natural on the shown in bathing suits? LOL, like not to sound promiscuous. So confused and pretty much scared than he came. I want to start shaving, but I'm unsure what area is supposed to be shaved clean and what should just be trimmed. Should the labia be shaved clean and the area above trimmed? Does anyone else get this? I was told to go with the grain, so I think that's why I got so frustrated. I seen a wonderful guy that hinted it would be better if my area was a bit trimmed up. I cut myself during that first attempt. Has anyone else ever felt that way about the hair down there? Guys, what should I do? Or should I wax? I have a BF, I might be getting some, so should I shave it all the way or just a little? I have a date tomorrow at 11 a.m. with a guy who I'm from primary school. Really uncomfortable, feeling like I have some bush growing down there. Should I shave my whole vagina? I'm worried it will like grow further up onto my back. Is this normal? So confused and pretty much scared of any pain. There are times that I glance at my area and sort of miss the hair. I felt like nothing was being accomplished. The hair makes me really nervous. human machine. Like an open mouth moving through the city, my pulsing cunt letting me know I'm still here despite sentimental men. The village. A girl fixes peanut butter and jelly at a round oak table. 
A girl fixes meatloaf on white toast with butter and pepper. A girl fixes ham and Swiss on rye. A girl fixes turkey lettuce, tomato, and mayo on full wheat. A girl fixes roast beef on white. A girl fixes salami and cheese on potato bread. A girl fixes two eggs and American cheese on a Kaiser. That is a lie, a girl says at the plain water tower of the hand that holds her head underwater. She sits at a kitchen table with a man in black leather ankle boots and mixes up the fear of drowning with the joy of living. The kitchen is held by four walls and a girl. A girl rubs mink oil on black leather ankle boots. The boots are real. Somewhere outside, men with guns piss in an alley. A girl fixes salami and cheese on potato bread. Somewhere down the road, a house burns to the ground. A woman stands with her lover in a fire swamp where the only way out is down. The woman assures her lover that if she jumps into the lightning quicksand, she will dive in right behind her. Her lover jumps into the lightning quicksand, but the woman takes too long making preparations, and her lover dies of asphyxiation. Later on, the woman sees her lover's sisters at a party on the outskirts of the village. The sisters for her coat and vomit, and not her bike over. Some wondered if pure love made it difficult to kill the neighbors. A woman plants tulips in her yard with a pickaxe. She makes insects out of Budweiser cans to experience lightness, something about needing to move down in order to move up. The woman has a chance encounter with a man who professes to be a doctor, but turns out to be the cult leader of a dozen villagers who believe the flood is coming. The village tires of her people, so they walk the streets, waving like overgrown underwater weeds. In the park, no one distinguishes pigeons from joggers or dogs from children. Empty, empty benches line the lake. A girl fixes two eggs and American cheese on a Kaiser. On the street, girls in coats with hope and compound words line up outside the alchemist's office to resolve their misunderstanding of the word stranger. The girls are angry and bored and passive and blamed for their passivity. They are angry about boredom and fat thighs. They drink their parents' liquor, babysit and bus tables for cigarette money, wear tight cotton bodysuit shirts, get yeast infections, give hand jobs, spend their Sundays at church, their Saturday nights smoking and drinking vodka in the Triangle of Trees where Route 1 meets the highway. A group of men mapping a demolition of the abandoned building along the canal press their faces up against the fence to see the girls on the dock. The water in the bay is black. A blimp sails overhead with a message. A wild boar is often held by a small dog. One by one, the girls get into the water. They give the bay their descent. When the girls climb to shore 100 years later, the men drop rolling in the sand, snorting like small horses. The Fates a gentle, intimate, comedic development, the end of civilization or the east wing of the mall. He was the facilitator in the room, pointing out that someone is the best known or the most important of that name. A sense of foreboding, a certain disquiet, a certain lady in the name of someone not known, her privacy governed by the fact, the fact that a category is vague. A thing that happens not explicitly named or stated. He asks her to arrive, but she says no, that she doesn't want to. When the missing verb is clearly understood, or for variation, they regarded the discomfort as naturally occurring. A common amnesia with a quote from Moby Dick. White butcher paper wrapping a white bagel with white sesame seeds inside white wax paper. White spray paint hanging a framing store in Metropolitan. The, le the white letters of Brooklyn Soul. Six white people in the bagel store. White napkins. A white Nissan sedan parked across the street. 
the leftover dirty white snow. Before 1691, the word white did not exist. The white help wanted sign in the bagel store window, medium white girl sitting under the bright white light bulb. That many things I do or do not do or say or do not say are related to this fact. The pistachio ice cream green, even though it is supposed to be white, white finding a way to be visible or invisible when it needs to be. Before 1691, the word white did not exist in a legal document. The white November sky, the white people in white omen, Joe Biden's white son, his white cocaine, his white apology, all his white freedom. The white sign in Wyoming reads, eight miles, no passing. My white ass teaching black 15-year-olds about racism, knowing white is their problem, is not their problem. The white MacBook charger seems to be obsolete, plugged into the white power strip. The white bow-down comforter with ink stains and cat hair. In 1691, the word white was used for the first time in a legal document. Previously, the Christian and English indentured servants in Jamestown were referred to as Christian and English indentured servants, but then they were called white. The white light on the white windowsill, white comfort, white band-aids, white teacher, white intentions, always good, white checks, always blank. The white plastic coffee lid embossed with the letters S-O-L-D. Then the other indentured servants who did not have black or brown skin came to be called white. The white drugs, all the white noise, all the white pages, the white backs of family pictures, 1978, Bay Ridge, 1978, super white. The gray splinters of graves and the white blue snow, whiteness was extended to the poor Europeans separating their condition from those of African descent, encouraging them to hold their heads a little bit higher. I say it was a pretty successful move. Even today, I see some white folks holding their heads a little bit higher, even if they won't remember why. The large white book about the sun, the white part of the eye, coconut oil, white and solid. The next piece I'm going to read is... Um, a research project, sort of, that's unfinished, and I apologize ahead of time because I wrote it for a funding. <laughs> an extremely incomplete history of white affirmative action in the United States of America. Story. A man is in a river drowning, and you are on dry land. Stop yelling, you say. I can't swim either, but you don't see me drowning. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean. 1619, the first Africans arrived from the Virginia colony at Point Comfort and are transported to Jamestown and sold into slavery. 1640, an African slave called John Punch living in the colony of Virginia runs away to Maryland with two men of European descent. They are all caught. The European indentured servants have time added to their sentence while Punch is sentenced to serve the remainder of his life as a slave. The first recorded case of disproportionate sentencing. 1662, Virginia makes the status of slaves hereditary. A slave woman's offspring becomes the property of her master. In other words, the English finally see the benefits of a matriarchal system, and with their enlightenment, legalize and encourage the rape of black women by the white masters. 1669, Act 1. Being enacted and declared by this grand assembly, if any slave resists his master and by the extremities of correction she chance to die, then his death shall not be accounted felony. But the master be acquit from molestation, because it cannot be presumed that pretense malice should induce any man to destroy his own estate. 1670, Act 4. Whereas it hath been questioned whether Indians or Negroes, manumitted or otherwise free, could be capable of purchasing Christian servants, it is enacted that no Negro or Indian, though baptized and enjoying their own freedom, shall be capable of any such purchase of Christians, but yet not debarred from buying any of their own nation. 1695, white indentured servants are giving severance packages upon finishing their indentures. Food, lard, and a musket. 1705, be it enacted that no person whatsoever, already convicted, or which hereafter shall be convicted in Her Majesty's Kingdom of England, in this or in any other of Her Majesty's dominion, colonies, islands, territories, or plantations, or in any other kingdom, dominion, or place belonging to any foreign prince or state whatsoever, of treason, murder, felony, blasphemy, perjury, forgery, or any crime whatsoever, nor any Negro, mulatto, or Indian shall, from and after the publication of this act, bear any office, ecclesiastical, civil, or military, or be in any place of public trust or power, within this Her Majesty's colony and dominion of Virginia. Be it enacted and declared, and is hereby enacted and declared, that the child of an Indian and the child, grandchild, and great-grandchild of a Negro shall be weaned or counseled held and taken to be a mulatto. 
1740, the South Carolina Assembly Act prohibits slaves from growing their own food, learning to read, moving freely, assembling in groups, or earning money. 1787, the Three Fifths Compromise. 1790, the Naturalization Act. 1792, the reenactment of the 1691 and 1705 prohibitions of interracial marriage. Occasionally, the legislature granted divorce on the ground that the white female had had sexual relations with a slave or a free black man. When black women became pregnant by white men, no statutory annulments or divorces were granted. 1830, the Indian Removal Act. 1862, the Homestead Act. 1854, the Kansas-Nebraska Act. 1857, Dred Scott v. Stanford. 1865, 48% of mules, dozens of liver. When in Washington, D.C., government officials pay up to $300 per slave upon emancipation to slaveholders as compensation for the loss of property. 1896, Plessy versus Ferguson. 1935, the Social Security Act excludes agricultural workers and domestic servants. 1935, the provision prohibiting racial discrimination in the Wagner Act is dropped, allowing unions to exclude black workers from union protections, health care, job security, and pensions. 1944, the GI Bill grants World War II vet mortgages to buy homes in the suburbs as well as funding for post-secondary education, the American Dream, home equity and education, the American reality, redlining and segregation, resulting in laying the foundation of white intergenerational wealth. 1934 through 1962, through the New Deal's Federal Housing Administration, the federal government backed $120 billion for home loans, more than 98% go to whites. 1972, every one of the 3,000 members of the Los Angeles Game Fitters Local 250 is still white. 1986, the Anti-Drug Abuse Act promises the same five-year mandatory minimum for distribution of five grams of crack cocaine or 500 grams of powder cocaine. 2011, Sarah Graves, Shelby Richards. 2012, George Zimmerman. 2013, Morag Moraj, Ognil Cordova. 2014, Daniel Pantaleo, Tim Roman, Peter Leanne, Darren Wilson, Ronald Ritchie, Daniel Willis, Jay Castro. 2015, Michael Slager, Robert Bates, etc., etc., etc. That's the abrupt ending. I apologize. Let's go swimming. One. Stories cannot repeat themselves when people are involved. The man walking on water, rifle slung over his shoulder, should serve as a warning. Establish the distance between you, your next conversation, and your executioner. Somewhere, someone is using flattery. Somewhere, someone is talking about killing a squirrel, needing a haircut, pulling a curtain close. Noon is dented with these decisions. If you dress in disguise and enter a distressing situation, you may be obliged to remain based on the false premise. Two, if the water is littered with seaweed or gelatinous creatures, I would swim in it. If the water is coated in sulfuric outer space foam and you know what I'm talking about, I will get in. If the water is garrisoned with empty bags of Doritos, cigarette butts, and rows of Boyers, I will still get in the water. If administered in sheets, water will quell the need to destroy small, leftover things. If you pull all eight legs from a spider's body, counting to ten to create each gentle tug, you still will not have arrived. The thought of coming up stands in conflict with the distance between you and the surface. Eye contact, like smoking, is nearly impossible underwater. I'm thinking about making important decisions for you. If we act now, things will stay dry for a long time. Desire. The road to becoming less disgusting is a long one but doable, is what my Tinder profile says. <laughs> I'm on the toilet swiping left and right. I schedule an event in my Google Calendar for October, hello from March, things aren't so great. I try to write a poem and I'm like, oh, hi, mom and dad. I try to write a poem and about white, but white is everywhere, so I'm writing about everything and my foot's on your back. All my poems are about a shame so deep, I didn't shit for two weeks in college. The field is dead or built over or really fucking far away or too expensive or there's not enough time. I give myself my first enema. My nose tingles with recognition, though I'm not sure why. I pour room temperature coffee into a lemonade pitcher and take it upstairs to the bathroom. I do a test run with hot water bottle that doubles as a douche bag to ensure I can utilize the clamp correctly. 
I hang the bottle from its hook to a hanger on the shower and lay on my side with my iPhone. I rub coconut oil all over my asshole. I raise a leg and slide the tube between my thighs. I stick the plastic nozzle on my ass and I'm aroused. My cat Paolo watches skeptically after being shooed away from trying to smell my pussy. Contrary to what I've read on the internet, I didn't feel a surge of liquid fill my colon. Sadly, I didn't feel anything really, but it worked big time. So I'm on the toilet flipping through the SkyMall catalog. The SkyMall catalog is selling the cooling pillow, is selling the temperature regulating blanket, is selling the genuine Turkish bathrobe, the original sleep sound generator, the nighttime arthritis pain relieving gloves, the circulation improving leg wrap, the turn your pool into an enchanting Venetian canal, is selling the handmade steel promise cross signifies his love, the personalized center for exceptional grandchildren and children doormats, the finally your dog has a yard of its own, the she dreams of fairies now she can be one, is selling the your name in the sand, the track everything from child to your most prized possession, the hands-free beer clock, the I can't promise sign, the say goodnight to bunions, not for nothing, but what if instead of saying have a good one, we just said I can't promise you anything, or your name in the sand, man. Thank you. uses poet personal address, come into my handmade syllabus, come into my public Google Doc, to let her thoughts, her writing, her work open, op open to the risk of inclusion and reinvention of what feels insurmountable or broken. Adwa reminds her readers to resist the impulse to push away from reality, from history. Remember, the internet has a birthday, she says. That information can be pictured without the oppressive institutions. That, quote, flesh is electric, even when we're tired, even when it is late in the game. To be able to survive winter and call the crying of can't a, quote, clown siren. In the dictionary of Reeves's work, gorgeous, terrible is all one word. What we have to be grateful for is that moment of unknown when a stranger begins conversation with you where you almost run into someone on the sidewalk because that infinitesimal movement of your body against their body does mean something. The crux of knowing and being is to deal openly with what Reeves calls the quote, access and denial that drives her project, the unschool MFA. In a letter written on this past Thanksgiving, Adwa's Dear America takes the, quote, devastating confusion of this country as we grapple with the murders that continue to result from America not yet understanding that black lives matter. Adwa writes, I won't let you distract me from your ghastly rap sheet. To make the you, us, those who claim this confused place as a home is to face the hugeness the impossible collectivity of a national identity, to take literature beyond the institutional structures that organize knowledge, this is Adjua's project. She writes to me about how her writing and reading is exploring an understanding of blackness as privilege. She is currently reading black poets and all of James Baldwin. sharing a language offered in service, pausing together while we can, free to share what we know of love, serene within the truth that we will die and haven't yet. Flesh electric for another moment, ready to breathe the magic of this ritual, all in the blistering chaos that surrounds, so that we may remain soft enough to withstand its towering violence.
Dear America, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter and you do not yet understand that. It is Thanksgiving Day of 2014 and you do not yet understand how devastating your confusion is. You do not yet understand that the grief emanating from your insistent ignorance is not located solely within those you murder, incarcerate, drug, rob, starve, depress, impoverish, and refuse to educate. The grief among those you so treat is continuing to shake loose. It is continuing to become wild. As wild as the land now called your name once was. The wilderness of this grief is as sublime and as potent as was the land whose material promise you so violently devoured in your flight from the oppression you could no longer tolerate back home in England. The emerging and ongoing grief of those you murder, incarcerate, drug, rob, starve, depress, impoverish, and refuse to educate will do its own essential work for those so harmed. The boldness of your disregard daily makes it easier and easier for those you murder, incarcerate, drug, rob, starve, depress, impoverish, and refuse to educate to begin to respond and react and reflect and heal and change and thrive. My concern for you, America, is that you cannot yet tell that you are also acting in grief. You cannot yet tell that when you murder, incarcerate, drug, rob, starve, depress, impoverish, and refuse to educate those parts of yourself you devalue you are also, more dangerously, doing the same harm to yourself. And so, because I care about you, and I care about me, because I can tell that we are each other, I will spend this time writing through my own deep grief. I will spend the day here with you, beginning to touch the void within. I will spend the day writing through to some greater understanding of why this mania persists. Because, America, I love you. You are my home. You are the cauldron in which I have been forged, and I am that cosmic sort of iron potion able to devour the vessel of its origin. It is within this power and this concern that I love you. And because I can tell that love is work, and because I acknowledge that I have been lax in this regard, I will spend this day with you, the first of many, considering our violent history, our official myths, and our will to survive. Some years ago, I read the words, only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is indestructible be found in us. In that language, I began to see the circumstances of my birth as privilege and not as curse, because I have committed to never inflict upon myself any reactionary mortal harm, because I refused to let you kill me, I am more able every day to look your violence square in its mind's eye, and I am more able to know it cold and plain. As we crossed the Manhattan Bridge, squeezing past the cars our group had stalled in the roadway, just before she began to cry out, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black lives matter, black lives matter, longer and louder than anyone else around us. 
I recall her voice, tight, dry, bracing for discouragement, asking me, do you want to have kids? I was happy to be able to answer yes, and I was sure to clarify that this was a very recent triumph. I emerged on this planet at the onset of the me decade, in the center of your most celebrated city. I was born to working class baby boomers who were themselves born to the descendants of enslaved Africans living on islands in the Caribbean Sea. My working class parents spent their youth, spent my youth, fighting their way into your economic middle class. Only one of them made it, and all three of us bear battle scars. I was enrolled exclusively in private schools on the island of Manhattan and spent the majority of my youth being educated alongside female children of the 1%. The outrageous privileges of this academic history run directly parallel to the insidious toxicity of its problems. And after a decade spent unraveling my rage from my delight, I emerged able to revel in my curiosity, intellect, empathy, and resilience. And I am now able to see clearly the extraordinary benefits of perspective my outsider status has afforded. The discordant coupling of acceptance and denial, the privilege of my insider access to the modes of powerful academic institutions, and my outsider's desire for transparency, nuance, and revolution could easily have killed me. But instead, I emerged with a deep appreciation for my nimble psyche. I emerged with immense gratitude for my insistence on survival. I write today from Crown Heights, near the center of Kings County, in the city of New York, in the empire state of a nation that likes to call itself the greatest in the world, imperialist nostalgia, flagrant, rancid, ignored, on a wet and colorful planet spinning through a bleak and luscious 13 billion year old void. That this cosmic perspective is absent from our daily human discourse is evident in the mutual violence we seven billion kinfolk ignore, accept, applaud, and perpetuate. America you purport to value inclusion and innovation, and I think you do, but I think those fine qualities missile of your own grim history. You stomp around the globe insisting upon justice on your terms, but you have not honestly and humbly addressed your own scandalous past, present, and likely future. You cannot yet tell that you will never enjoy the peace of true greatness until you acknowledge all of who you are and find the strength to grieve your way toward a loving understanding of yourself and the rest of humanity. You urge that we stuff ourselves with food and endure unprocessed familial stress today, but I won't. Today, I won't let food numb the pain my own home inflicts upon me. Today, I won't pretend that the brutalization of my ancestors is not sharply present in the love my family tries to share across the Thanksgiving table. Today, I won't let you convince me your own indictment isn't long overdue. Today, I won't let you distract me from your ghastly rap sheet. America, you killed the very people whose land you sought refuge in. 
It was a murder-suicide, snuffing out the integrity of your own young dream of freedom. And it left you the desperate, bewildered zombie you remained. America, you killed Martin, Malcolm, and Medgar. You certainly killed Bobby. Maybe John and Abraham, too. You killed Michael, and you killed Whitney. You killed Emmett, and you killed Trayvon. You killed millions of women, and you will not even tell me their names. You killed DeAndre Joshua, Akai Gurley, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Giselle Ford, Orlando Barlow, Oscar Grant, Renisha McBride, Dante Parker, Jordan Davis, John Crawford, Alonzo Ashley, Kimani Gray, Stephen Eugene Washington, Victor Steen, Sean Bell, Ayanna Stanley Jones, Wendell Allen, Aaron Campbell, Kendrick McDade, Bo Morrison, Timothy Stansbury Jr., Timothy Russell, Jereen Blake, Jonathan Farrell, Amadou Diallo, Irvin Jefferson, Patrick Dorisman, Usman Zongo, Ronald Madison, James Brissett, Marley Graham, Travaris McGill, Jersey Green, Sharon Jackson, Dwayne Brown, Angelo Clark, Stephen Rodriguez, Christopher Kassane, Raymond Allen, Justin Sipp, Melvin Lahorn, Nehemiah Dillard, Michael Lombard, Marquez Smart, Tendai Nikairo, Rikia Boyd, Stefan Watts, Manuel Loggins Jr., Johnny Kamahi Warren, and endless others. It will be painful. I know it will. But you must begin to accept responsibility for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you are poised to continue. If you don't, you will be haunted by the ghosts of those you ate. You will stay sick and sad and scared. You will die alone in a wasteland of your creation, your final utterances, that same old, tired, pitiful, vile gibberish about being number one. America, the only races you are winning are the ones you pretend you are not running. But we can all see you running hard. The whole world can tell. You are thrusting your limbs, expelling your breath, engaging your core, and destroying your knees to ensure incarceration, gun death, and a vast, sweeping, truly inconceivable abundance of illness for your people. America, I urge you to stop and look at who you have become. I urge you to find the courage to be accountable for the arrogance of your monstrous adolescence. I still believe you can be great. I still believe in your dream of yourself. 
but I can't see how it will ever come true unless you have the courage to look within and do the work necessary to reorient yourself. If you cannot find the courage to do so, your future will be only more arduous, only more humiliating, only more laughable, and only more tragic. You do not love yourself yet. I understand America. I'm going through the same thing. I am learning to love myself into a more sustainable existence. It is not easy, but it is the only answer. You do not love yourself yet. That is why you are in danger. That is the pervasive threat you feel. It is you. It is not people from other nations. It is you. It is not people who believe in other gods. It is you. That is why you are full of anger and fear and poisonous, boisterous rigidity. That is why you are compelled to spend your considerable wealth pressing others into these thin theaters of calm. And even those massive efforts are not working. All your efforts only make more problems for yourself and others. You are not yet strong. You are weak and sad and loud and ashamed. You do not love yourself yet, America, but you could. There is much about you to love, and when you are able to restore your integrity, this will be the most extraordinary achievement, and the resulting love you feel from within and from those around you and perhaps even from the universe at large, will be more beautiful and more nurturing than any joy you have ever felt. You do not love yourself, America. When you do, everything will be better. Everywhere. I promise. I'll write again this time next year. Please take care of yourself, America. I will do the same. Love, Adua, Garji, Nzinga, Greens. It is a winter of trials and rewards for me. Breathing deep, freaking out, <laughs> calming down, being brave in love. Because life is short. It's short. And I don't want to be pining as the lights go out. That's what's present for me. That sharing and expressing affection are everything and that I don't want to get hit by a truck tomorrow and lay in the road lamenting some unsung adoration as I pass from this gorgeous, terrible place into the maybe-nothing that awaits, you know? This season has become a favorite of late. I just consciously surrendered to the starkness and the bleakness of our weather, and the season's rigor is now really shining bright within me and externally, too. It's making me braver in how I'm relating to people, more willing to be vulnerable because of a more conscious awareness of mortality and the beauty of what remains amid the demands of this environment. That's the sort of thing that happens when it's single digits outside. I'm into it. deep within the darkness of our vast 
before. In that endless sea of all the nothing. I, too reckless, slipped an ancient voice into this winter body and set sail for some bleak death-celebrating land. Set out to weather this storm of negation so virulent, so nimble, so praised. And I, so new to deity, was sure I would pass through with ease. But in truth, I forgot the strength of material weakness, forgot the clown siren cry of Kant, and made my target your so-called home, a state so poisoned it is scarcely able to create any but villains of self, of other, of whole. I tired early upon arrival, and too quickly became one of them. I let your place festoon the willing blind and laurel mania all through my lax porous heart. Though it faltered, frightened quiet at my soul, for pristine and fire black there yet remains within me an ever precious void sweet token from the nothing, spirit mirror of the old. Here now, so compromised, my engine flickers fast between chaos and consent. Exhausted and ashamed to be, I let myself forget my name and allowed in some moldering summer plague that promised no more than a thin, foul-drunken fog for solace. And today, within the winter body, the fog's too difficult to bear, and I again surrender to the crushing weight of a liar's ease. I surrender to the falsity that I am bad and should not be. I surrender to the fear that I breathe fear, am fear, will fear. Yet, through this pain, a deep and deepening grace remains that I am. I am. I am. So I reside here still, ever safely seeking home, knowing I cannot return there plague formed as I am at present. Would never ask the passage to heal me of my arrogance, but instead will gaze with fierce forever and a warrior love upon this my wrong-chosen villainy, until the cold has burned it all away, until I starve out the brightly summering swamp that lingers, until I blaze again black as the before. And if you choose to believe you would survive it, you are most welcome with me as I go. For when dead calm and endless as the void surrounding, with a wise, wild glory I can die, all that will remain of my time among you will be a voice so siren it could call me to this bad place again. Bury me alive in the winter body. Bury me deep in your carnival air, and I will breathe your fire till I am strong enough to come home again. Clapbacks on fleek. 
we black carefree stay calm and just roast the death reflex thank you the poetry project has promoted fostered and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966 Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.